Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 9th, 2022. It is currently 4.37 p.m. Central Time, and I'm still here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yes, the empty sanctuary, Victory Baptist Church, middle of nowhere, Texas. I have been here a lot of hours today, sitting right here in front of this microphone, I've I've done a lot of work. I hopefully something we've done today has been beneficial. Thank you to people who have emailed, who have who have uh, provided feedback, good, bad, whatever the case may be. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you to the individual who went to theologycentral.net this morning and gave a financial gift. We greatly appreciate that. That really helps keep well supporting everything we're doing, the curriculum, the live streaming, the podcast. Um it, it, well, it 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 it, it, it well, keeps the lights on here in this church. It, it it does so so many different things. So thank you so very much for doing that. We try to to never ask. We we don't put any of our content behind paywalls. We don't monetize any of our podcasts. We don't monetize our YouTube page. We don't do any of that. Um, those who want to support will, and that's what we count on. So thank you so very much for doing that. We greatly appreciate it. But it is now. I was going to say Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I've been here way too long. It is now Sunday afternoon, fast moving towards Sunday evening. We've talked about a lot of things today. There are a lot of things that we still could talk about, but I just wanted to turn on the microphone one more time before I go home for the day and just once again turn our minds towards the book of Obadiah. That is the Bible study exercise this week. And just to try to get you off to a good start. I think we did a lot of good work this morning, over two hours this morning on Obadiah. But I, I just, I want to make sure that you can start the week off right, that it will be beneficial. I take these Bible study exercises very, very, very seriously. I think it's, it's a great honor to be able to turn on the microphone and try to get people around the world to study the Bible. But it's a great responsibility to ensure that you have everything you need to get the most out of these studies. I don't want to just throw something out there on the internet and just say, well, look, look, look what we did. I, I want it to be like meaningful, helpful, beneficial. And so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do a little bit more work here to get you going in the right direction for this new week of Bible study. If you have the Bible, uh, the Bible memory app, if you have downloaded the Bible memory app, and if you looked for Theology Central and joined our group, you just got a notification about five minutes ago. Yes, you did. And if I open up the Bible memory app right now and I go to groups and I click on Theology Central and I click on verses, oh, there it is. The memory verse of the week. What do you think it is, everyone? It is Obadiah. Well, obviously it was going to be an Obadiah. Verse one. I mean, there's not really chapter. So Obadiah verse one, and it reads, the vision of Obadiah. That's easy to memorize, right? The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. All right, so this is the vision of Obadiah that's going to explain to us God's words concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord. What exactly does that mean? And ambassador is sent among the heathen. What 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 is that talking about? Arise ye, and let us rise up against her 
in battle. Who is being told to arise? Who's telling them to arise? And who are they going to fight in battle? It appears they're going to fight Edom. Is God saying, arise, gather yourself. We're going to go fight Edom. Well, who's the ambassador? There's a lot to take apart, but that's your memory verse for this week. Obadiah 1, memorize it, but not just memorize it. Really think about it. And, and I love the fact that it's the first verse because that, that verse should start your work. In fact, we're going to work on verse 1 this afternoon. That's what we're going to do right here. So that's your memory verse. You've got a lot. Memorize it. Talk about it. Get other people talking about it. Just start a discussion. Look, even if you're, you know, I don't want them to know I listen to Theology Central because that podcast is complete hot garbage. Okay, that's fine. Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret that you'll listen to me. But take everything you get from the studies and share it with everyone else. I don't care if you look smart. Plagiarize everything I do. Steal everything I do. I really don't care. Okay, I, I steal everything. I just want people to study the Bible. That's all I care about. So use it, steal it, make it your own, plagiarize. I don't care. Get people studying the book of Obadiah this week. That's that's what we want. We want people all around the world digging into the book of Obadiah this week. And then we want them ready to go next week for whatever we're going to study next week. That is what I want you to do. But I think we're going to have, I think we're going to get a little topical message in, a little topical study exercise at the beginning of this week. I really do. And I, now that the more I think about it, now I've got two directions I could go here and I'm really debating with myself where to go. But I think what we're going to do is we're just going to, we're going to remind ourselves quickly of our outline. All right. Our outline. Now, I think most people, I think most people today agreed. I think there was some disagreement, but I think for the most part, there was agreement. I broke uh, the book of Obadiah down into three parts. When I say I, this is not a new thing. Obviously, there's a lot of different sources that do it differently, but there's a lot of sources that would agree with me uh, that we should break down Obadiah in the following sections. Number one, verses one through nine. Number two, verses 10 through 14. Number three, verses 15 through 21. Now, I did not offer subpoints. You can add subpoints to your outline if you really want to, you know, you know, Roman numeral one and then A, B, C. You can, you can do that if you would like, all right? Or you want to put A and then number one, number two. I don't care how you, I don't even care if it follows, I don't even care if it follows correct outlining rules. Just remember outlining is about observation. So verses one through nine, we're calling this kind of the prediction of judgment on Edom. It's predicting judgment on Edom, All right? It's, it's prediction. It's, it's predicting. It's, it's, it's saying what's going to happen, what will happen. We believe verses 10 through 14 is the reason it's going to happen, the reason for the judgment upon Edom. This is explanation, right? Verses 10 through 14. And then verses 15 through 21, we're calling this uh, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And this is kind of the, the conclusion of what will happen. This is, this, this is uh, what will happen, why it will happen, and then the conclusion of it happening in, in a roundabout way, all right? Verses 10, 15 through 21. And you definitely can add some subpoints to 15 through 21. You can add some subpoints to 10 through 14. But those are the three ways we are outlining it. So obviously where we need to start is verses one through nine. That's where we need to start. And I've got, I've got a commentary here that I kind of really want to get to because they offer some interesting 
thoughts, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I may, I may try to bring in both of these depending on how long I want to go. It depends on how long I want to go. I know you've already had two hours of discussion today. Um, but I mean, can you, I, I, I know I, I, I sometimes kick myself because I know, look, the average podcast does not produce as much content as I do. I know that. So I know I give you a lot, but I hope you don't, I don't ever want it. Let me, let me at least say this. I want the Bible study exercises to be for your spiritual edification, your spiritual benefit, and your spiritual growth. I don't want it to be a burden. So if you can't listen, fine, don't. Uh, don't feel bad. Uh, we, we want this to be something that will benefit as much. Of course, you want people to participate. You do, you do, you want people. Clearly, as a pastor, I want everyone in my church to participate. I want people in my church digging into these things and talking about it. But I know the reality is some people will not just because they don't want to. Some people will not, even though they want to, but they're unable to either maybe discipline themselves to actually doing it. And so time really controls them than them controlling time. Other people are just unable to do so because they're actually too busy. And sometimes it's the people who are actually too busy who are the ones who feel guilty when the other people who could do it but can't don't feel guilty because reality is they don't want to. So I, I don't want anyone to feel guilty who, who can't get to it. Just do the best you can and listen to what you can as, and benefit as much as you can. And what you, and what you can't do, that's perfectly okay. If you can't do the assignments, that's perfectly okay. Um, if, look, if you can't do the assignments, and, and, I, and I mean this in all sincerity, if I give an assignment and you can't do it, and you realize that I'm not going to go back and cover that assignment or really explain what we discovered, let me know. And I got no problem turning on the microphone and saying, hey, there's some people out there who couldn't do the assignment. This is what we learned. This is what we discovered. So if it, just whatever I can do to assist you, and I know I'm taking too much time doing that, but I, I really want to, I really want to make sure people get the most out of these studies. All right. So let's look at We'll call it the prediction of judgment, right? On Edom and verses one through nine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna reference here a little bit the God's masterwork. I referenced it a little bit this morning. I'm gonna reference a little bit here. I don't know. There, it's just interesting. I've got two commentaries here who take kind of a very interesting approach. And I, I kind of want to bring in both. So we may go forward in one and come back. The goal here is just to really get us started. Not really to finish to cover all nine verses, but we, we may we may read everything they have to say. I'm going to really focus on verse one mostly, but we'll see what they do here. So so are you ready? Here we go. All right, all right. According to this book, verses one through nine focuses on the impending destruction of Edom. All right. The, so in other words, it's not happened yet. It's coming. It's, it's predicting its, its destruction or the judgment on Edom, which we, we have already identified in our outline. I think that that's accurate. Verses 10 through 14 specifies the charges against the nation. What are the reasons they're going to be judged? I think we specified that. The day of the Lord, when Israel will possess the land of the enemies is foretold in verses 15 through 21. Now, this would indicate that the dramatic conclusion 
of the judgment against Edom is future. Or we have to find a historical fulfillment for it. But what, what, that, that's something we're really going to have to work on at the end of the week. But just we're, we're right now we're focused on this first part. Now, so this prediction of judgment, verses one through nine. God revealed to Obadiah in a vision that he was declaring war on Edom and he invited other nations to join in the battle. So let, let's read it that way, all right? In fact, we may look at how this is translated in other translations. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord. Now, who's the we? We've heard a rumor. That, that's an interesting translation. We're going to look at this in a minute. And an ambassador is sent among the heathen. So an ambassador, in a sense, is sent among the heathen. That says, arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. It's almost like an ambassador is saying, everyone, gather up, gather up. And it's God who sent this ambassador. Everyone, all of the heathen nations, get together. We're going after Edom. Now, remember, this is very, this is very fascinating. Because this would be, once again, another biblical example of God utilizing heathen nations for his purpose. Now, ever people always say, amen, amen. Everyone says amen to that, but they never think of the philosophical implications of it. Well, wait a minute. What if a nation has risen up and kills thousands, 50,000 people? You say, well, that's horrible. Well, did God raise them up and use them for that purpose? Yeah, now, now we get uncomfortable. And, and well, we've been talking about this in, our, in, in relation to Romans 8. I don't have time to get into that discussion here. All right. Uh, let me do this. I'm going to go pull up. Oh, and someone sent me an email uh, telling me that it appears the first. Uh, well, that's that's no, I'm sorry. That's that's dealing with our a different study. All right. Never mind. I, I thought it was for some reason. I saw the email I'm like, wait a minute. That was an email related to this study, but I'm doing Obadiah. I'm not doing the imitation of Christ. I'm sorry. I get, I get too many emails and then I get confused. All right, here we go. Obadiah one verse one. It's also the danger um, of when you've done hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I, I don't think the average person really knows how much it takes out of you. Like after this many hours, my brain right now is not existing. Okay. So, so which then sometimes it makes me regret the last or last two broadcasts that I do when I drive home, which is very depressing. And then it leads to Sunday night depression and Monday night retirement. It is what, but okay, here we go. All right. This, this is, I'm going to read this from another number of translations. Maybe this will uh, offer some, some help here. The vision of Obadiah, that is what the sovereign Lord says about, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. Now, I like the way that is said. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. In other words, it's establishing the fact that the sovereign God is about to speak. The, gov, the sovereign God is about to say what's going to happen. And if he says what's going to happen, it's going to happen because it's the sovereign God speaking it. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. So an envoy, an ambassador is sent among the nations to say, come, come on guys, get up. We're going against Edom. 
But the reason they're doing it is because the sovereign Lord is at work. From a human perspective, you see nation rising against nation. From the heavenly perspective, God is at work. So many times when you, when you watch the news or listen to the news, you see, you see human beings at work. You see political intrigue. You see political maneuvering. You see fighting, arguing, debating. But remember, God is at work. That's, that's always important to remember, right? The New Living Translation. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Ob- Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our arm- armies and attack Edom. Now, the New Living Translation really emphasizes that. The ESV, the vision of Obadiah, thus says, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. So God is going to use other heathen nations to bring judgment upon Edom. God is at work. It may look like heathen nation attacking heathen nation, but it's actually God using the heathens for his purpose. That, that's, that's very important to see here. So let me read this. Let me read this verse again, or let me read this from the commentary. God revealed to Obadiah in a vision that he was declaring war on Edom, and he invited the other nations to join in the battle. Though Edom was great in her own eyes, God would make her small. Her pride would be her downfall. Okay. Oh, there's a lot of directions I want to go here, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything right now. I'm not going to say anything right now. There's things I want to say here, but I'm not going to say it right now. All right. Now let's, let's go back to the text. All right. So Obadiah 1.1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord. Now, they when the King James says we've heard a rumor from the Lord, all the other translations simply says we have heard a message from the Lord, all right? Uh, the, the Lord revealed to Obadiah, we have heard a message from the Lord. So when it says we heard a rumor, that's kind of, that's a weird way of saying it. I know it's the old English, but it, they've heard a message, God is, God is at work here, and this is what God is going to do. So we've heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. Rise up, nations, we're going to go fight Edom. And in a roundabout way, the one leading the charge is God. He's kind of the army. He's kind of the general. He's the Lord of the armies. That's even the pagan armies. It's kind of a an interesting picture going on there. All right, but now look in verse two. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Now, God is saying, this is, he's saying it like, I have done this, but this is predicting what he's going to do. He's going to bring Edom 
down. Now, now just stay with me. This is very, 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 very important. And I love the fact where it says where Edom dwells. You've dwelled and dwellest in the clefts of the rock. Now, if I had the church here right now, I'd be like, where did Edom dwell? Where, where was one of its major cities? Where? Come on, come on. You've probably seen it like in a, I don't know, uh, Indiana Jones movie, right? One of the Raiders of Lost Ark, one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, right? One of the, I don't know which one, but you, 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 you probably have seen it. You've probably seen it in a lot of movies. You've probably seen pictures of it in a Bible dictionary. You, you probably can name. Okay, I won't, I won't give it away. It's not, well, okay. I could give you all kinds of hints, but here we go. Her pride would be her downfall. Now, I'm going to quote from the, the scripture reference, the scripture translation that's used here in, in this uh, book that I'm holding. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cleft of the rock and the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who shall bring down, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagles, Though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now, this has everything to do with their pride. Everything to do with their arrogance. Now, I don't want you to spend a lot of time on this this week. But I want you to think, of five verses, or find five verses in the Bible that speak against pride and arrogance. I want you just to find those five and just think about Edom. Here's Edom, prideful, arrogant. Who's going to bring us down? Who's going to touch us? Right? And yet, they're going to be brought down. God resist the proud. Where is pride and arrogance in you? We can learn from the example of Edom being arrogant and prideful. God is going to stand against it. There is warning against pride and arrogance in you and me. Where where is pride and arrogant evident in your life? If you don't know, ask someone you know. Ask your husband or ask your wife. Probably you're going to find out what you don't want to know. I'm not asking anybody, okay? No, I, I, I'm not, okay? But I already know that I've got enough of it. I don't need to ask anybody, okay? All right? I don't want to, to do that. But here we go. If ever a nation had reason to feel self-sufficient, Edom did. So they're saying, look, if you consider nations, Edom had every right to think that they were self-sufficient, that they were prideful, that no one could bring them down. Now, this book quotes from... James Montgomery Boyce and his commentary, The Minor Prophet. So I'm reading a book that's quoting from another book, all right? I think I have James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on The Minor Prophets somewhere. It was probably in the church library and it's probably now long gone. But James Montgomery Boyce had a profound impact on me earlier in my Christian life. The very first Christian book that I ever uh, bought. I went to the Christian bookstore. I'd only been saved for a couple of weeks. I was looking around kind of like in the youth section. I didn't know what to do. And this older gentleman walked up and said, can I help you? I'm like, well, I'm a new Christian. And I thought, I thought maybe, you know, coming to a Christian bookstore is what I was supposed to do. So I don't, but I don't know what to get. And he's like, well, you don't want any of this stuff. 
and he took me over to the theology section and he handed me the foundations of the Christian, uh, of the Christian faith by James Montgomery Boyce. It was basically a systematic theology. So the first book I ever purchased as a brand new Christian, a couple of weeks of being a Christian, a teenager, was, was by James Montgomery Boyce. It was a systematic theology. And years later, I met that man at a church and thanked him uh, for what he did for me. Because, that, I mean, that started me off really in the study of theology. I could have been given some crazy teenage, you know, youth dis- devotional book, and he went straight up to systematic theology. I, I really respected the fact that he didn't see me as a teenager. He saw me as a young believer and knew that a young believer needs theology, needs doctrine, needs, needs in-depth study, uh, doesn't need candy, doesn't need junk food. And uh, didn't treat me like an idiot teenager, treated me like a young believer. And uh, I really, uh, that, that to me, I, I, it still makes me emotional today because it's just an awesome thing. Because a lot of times we, we see, I, I hate churches that treat teenagers like they're stupid. Hey, you're a teenager. You need to be in the youth department and play games and get a pizza party and, and get a little five-minute devotional. Why do, te- why do the churches treat teenagers like they're useless and dumb? How about treat the teenagers like they're young adults? Open up your Bibles. Let's do verse by verse study through, I don't know, Obadiah. But they won't come back. Well, if they're believers, that's what they need. If they're not believers, why do you expect that? So they're not believers, so we've got to entertain them. The church was never called to entertain. I know I'm getting a little distracted here. I apologize. But it just, whenever I see James Montgomery Boyce's name, it, it always brings these memories up. All right, here we go. Now, why? Was why could Edom like nobody can touch us? Why why would Edom be in a situation like you can't touch us? Well, clearly it has something to do with where they dwell. This is what James Montgomery Boyce said. First, Edom was situated along the great trade routes between Syria and Egypt and could profit from this trade. So, in other words, their location put them in a place where they could make a lot of money, 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 money. And we know money gives you a sense of power and Maybe a sense of invincibility. Hey, look, I, I know. Hey, look, it's one thing to have money, and you and you have some sense of security, right? Look, I, I I know that I need new tires on my car, and I don't know when they're going to blow up, and I'm going to end up on the side of the road. If you just have money, you don't even have to worry about that. You just go and get new tires. But sometimes you have to wait until you have the money for the new tires, right? Do you see how that works? So one gives you a sense of I don't need to worry about it. Me, I'm like, okay, okay. Well, all right, let me make it home without the tire blowing up. <laughs> like that, you, everyone knows that. Okay, hey, I got. No, I don't have to worry about this. Hey, it's going to be freezing cold. Well, I don't have to worry about it. I'll crank the heat to 80. Well, I don't know if we have the money to crank the heat to 80, so we're going to have to be cold. Like it, it's just, it's different when you have money. There's a sense of security, which is not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong about it. No one should be condemned for having it. But it's a, it can give you a sense of security, which can lead to maybe a, a, a self-sufficient, arrogant attitude. I'm not saying it will, it can. Poverty can create, look, wealth has its dangers. Not having wealth has its dangers. Both have dangers because we're, we are sinners and we can take anything good or bad and, and we'll hurt ourselves spiritually with it. All right. So, uh, Trade brought business and the inhabitants grew rich and on tolls extracted from the many caravans. In other words, it made you pay, a, it's like a toll road. Hey, you're coming through. 
<laughs> That's going to cost you some money, right? You want to use our roads? It's going to cost you money, right? Uh, the second factor was Edom's natural strength and security. The central area is characterized by red sandstone cliffs that rise to heights of more than 5,000 feet above sea level. These are easily fortified. As a result of having made their home within the natural fortress, the people of Edom were free to wage war and levy tribute on others while themselves being relatively free of outside interference because of where they were located in these high mountains. They could kind of go out, attack, and come back, and nobody could mess with them. The ancient fortress city of Sela, S-E-L-A, later known as, what do you think? Come on, come on. If someone's listening live, you can, you can answer this. The ancient fortress city of Sela, S-E-L-A, it was later known as something else, and you probably have seen it. I think it's in one of the Indiana Jones movies, if I remember correctly. I know it's shown up in a lot of movies because it's really awesome to see. It's really cool. I, I, in fact, I was looking at it. I had the Bible dictionary open somewhere, um, and I was looking at pictures of it from there. It's just really awesome to see. You should look up all the pictures of it. It's really cool to see. Come on. What, what, what's the name of it? What's the name of it? Petra, right? No, no, not the early, very famous contemporary Christian rock band, Petra. Not them, okay? But the ancient, the ancient, the ancient fortress city of Sela. Now, look, there's only so many hours you can talk before all of your words start merging together. It was known as Petra. It was virtually impenetrable. Experts say that because of Petra's position in the mountains, it would be possible for a dozen men to hold it against an army. No wonder the Edomites could brag, who will bring me down to earth? Okay, yeah, the, the Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. I knew it was in one of those. I, I had the box set on DVD way back in uh, the DVD days, but uh, yeah, on Blu-ray to be exact. So I've seen it. I just couldn't remember which one it was. I should remember it was the last crusade. Yeah, I should remember that. Okay, but that's a whole different story. But it's the city of Petra. Now, just I want you to hear that again. Based on it's the way it was designed, that basically a few people could stop an entire army from getting to them. Well, when you're in that kind of situation, you can be like, <laughs> come on, come on. Who's gonna take us out? I mean, you could talk all kinds of garbage. You could, yeah, using uh, a wrestling uh, lingo, you could cut all the promos you want and like about who can mess with me because you wouldn't fear anyone. You would feel like you're, you're, you can't be defeated. You're indestructible. It would give this pride. It would give this arrogance. And again, there's sometimes in life, you're, what has blessed you can make you arrogant. Sometimes the very thing that has blessed you, sometimes the thing that has been very good for you can be the very thing that is detrimental to you spiritually. They were, they were in an opera, they were in a great position, financially well off. They had security. They were in a great position, but it made them arrogant. Don't allow the good things in your life. Don't allow the blessings in your life to make you arrogant self-sufficient and conceited. Don't do that. It's, it's a recipe for disaster. Just don't do that. 
That's for everyone. Look, it may, it, I, let me make it, it may not be, it may not be money. It may not be wealth. It just whatever, whatever you think it, it could be, it could be your own good looks could make you arrogant. Whatever it could be, it could be your health. It could be your intelligence. It could be whatever. It can make you arrogant. It can be the very thing, the very blessing, the something that you should be so grateful for. And it's wonderful that you have it can be the very thing that can make you an arrogant, condescending jerk. Don't let that happen. The Edomites had all these great blessings, but it just made them arrogant. Then we'll continue. I will, said God, his overthrow of Edom would be total. Nothing would be left, even thieves leave something behind when they steal and not even grape harvesters can uh, can get every single grape. But Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasure searched out. God would even turn Edom's allies against her. Neither wisdom nor military might would help Edom on that day. Now go back to Obadiah chapter one. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, thus saith, say the sovereign God. This is his message that basically that the, the people have heard a message from the Lord and an ambassador has been sent among the heathen. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, this will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they have not stolen till they had enough? If the grape uh, grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are the hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have, have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. So I shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. In other words, I'm not, he's not going to leave anything left. He's going to destroy everything. This is what's coming. Now, I'm going to switch to a different commentary. Because that doesn't offer any, so has that happened? Did it happen? Is there a historical fulfillment for this? Let me switch to the way of life commentary. All right. Now listen carefully. All right. Um, one, I'm going to read a little bit before they get into kind of a discussion here. I'm going to try to make this quick. So Edom, now this is what they say. Edom is given as an example of what will happen to all of Israel's enemies. Now that's interesting. Do, when we read Obadiah, are we, are we seeing, man, what's going to happen to Edom here? This is crazy. This is frightening. Is this an example of what's going to happen to all of Israel's enemies? And if this is what's going to happen to all of Israel's enemies, then let me tell you, it has never happened. So therefore, it's going to require a future 
fulfillment. We already know when we looked in Micah, we talked about this, about the Assyrians being defeated. Over and over and over, nations are said that they are going to be defeated and destroyed who were Israel's enemies. And we know that ultimately, there's, I think there's going to have to be a future fulfillment. I think there's no other way around it unless you spiritualize it. And so what most amillennialists will do is say, well, God is defeating his enemies through the preaching of the gospel. So it's not real enemies to real Israel. It's the enemies of spiritual Israel who will ultimately be defeated by the preaching of the gospel. And it just becomes, well, pretty anticlimactic and doesn't really seem to mean anything in the historical context in which it was given. All right, but here's what they have to say. Edom is given as an example of what will happen to all of Israel of Israel's enemies. Edom is the seed of Esau, Genesis 36.1. Edom dwelt in the clefts of the rock. Edom is also called Mount Seir, uh, S-C-I-R. And its capital city was Selah, also known as Petra. Selah is Hebrew for rock, whereas Petra is Greek for rock. Petra was located in the midst of the mountains of Edom. This ancient city dating uh, to before Christ was carved into the mountain rocks. Teman was another major city of Edom. It was named for Esau's grandson by his firstborn son, Genesis 36, 10 through 11. Edom had grown wealthy by iron and copper mining. She taxed the spices and other goods from Arabia, which had to be transported through her territory. She developed agriculture by irrigating her valleys. She was also a robber nation. She went and took from others. Now, here we go. Edom, so in Obadiah, we read of the, in in verses one through nine, we read the prediction of what's going to happen. This commentary jumps to what they believe is the fulfillment of this. Edom was destroyed by a confederacy and they point to Obadiah 1.7. This consisted, this is the confederacy that they believe brought this about. The Nabataeans, N-A-B-A-T-E-A-N-S. N-A-B-A-T-E-A-N-S. The Nabataeans, N-A-B-A-T-E-A-N-S. Nabataeans, Jews, and Romans. It was a confederacy of the Nabataeans, Jews and Romans. That's interesting. Ambassadors were sent from nation to nation to prepare war against Edom, Obadiah 1.1. Edom was deceived by her own friends and allies, Obadiah 1.7. The downfall referred to her here probably occurred in the late 6th or early 5th century BC. So they think that what's prophesied here finally happens in the late 6th or early 5th century BC when the Nabataeans went to the Edomites who took them in for a banquet. So this is supposedly what happens. So you have the Nabataeans, they go to the Edomites who take them in for a banquet. Hey, come on in, come on in. Remember, their city is kind of impenetrable. It can't be destroyed, but they bring them in for a banquet. Once welcomed inside Edomite territory, the Nabataeans turned against their ally and killed the guards. Now, this is what the Bible knowledge commentary says. That, 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 what I just read comes from the Bible knowledge commentary. Now, 
this Bible study exercise rules. If you want something to, now I want you to find a couple of verses about pride this week. I really want you to think about pride and arrogance. But look up the Nabataeans and see if you find any confirmation to what the Bible knowledge commentary says here. All right. Is this, did the Nabataeans and their deceit being brought in for a banquet and then killing the guards, does this, does this fix this? We are reminded that sinners are undependable friends. The history of this world since the fall is the history of friends, deceiving friends, friends, cheating friends, of rulers being overthrown by their own friends and closest relatives. Well, I think, look, here's the thing. I think, uh, not just that sinners are undependable friends. Let's be honest. We're all undependable friends because we're all sinners, right? So everyone's undependable. Your husband's undependable. Your wife is undependable. Your pastor's undependable. Everyone's undependable in some way, shape, or form, right? Doesn't excuse it, but it's just the reality. Edom was completely robbed of her wealth and destroyed. The treasure Edom had hidden in caves would be found and taken. Edom's wise men were destroyed. Wisdom was taken away from her, uh, her wise men, in, uh, in that they did not discern the conspiracy against the nation until it was too late. Edom's mighty men were destroyed. God pronounces judgment upon all those who trust in chariots and horses and strong horsemen rather than in him. And then we can stop right there. So they say this happened under the Nabataeans. Now I'm going to look at something really quick because I didn't even think about looking here. And I don't know how many commentaries agree with that. Many of the books don't mention this at all. So I don't know how common everyone believes that that was the fulfillment of it. I'm looking in the Bible dictionary here. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, okay, the, the, uh, the Nabataeans, see here, uh, let's see, okay, now that doesn't seem to help us. The Nabataeans, now this is interesting, it sounds like the Nabataeans at one, at, at one time, did the Nabataeans take Petra as their capital city at some point? All right, it says Nabatia, uh, an Arabic territory situated between the Dead Sea and the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, Nebajoth, son of Ishmael and brother-in-law of Edom. Genesis 25, 13, Genesis 28, 9. So, so the Nabataeans were related or at least a brother-in-law of Edom. That's, that's interesting may have been the ancestor, or this may have been the ancestor of the Nabataeans, may have been. So Nabatea may have been the ancestor of the Nabataeans. Sometime during the 6th century BC, these peoples invaded the territory of the Edomites and the Moabites. Their name first occurred in 646 BC when a people called Nabatea revolted against uh, a king of Assyria. It took the Assyrians seven years to subdue the people. In 312 BC, Antagonists, one of the successors of Alexander the Great, sent an expedition against the Nabataean capital of Petra. 
Well, that's interesting. Um, so when did the Nabataeans take it from the, Ed- the Ed- Edomites? Now, the timeline is very, I'm trying to figure out the timeline. Because now remember, this is very important. If this prophecy, now remember, there's lots of debate about the timing of the prophecy of Obadiah. So I'm just going to throw these thoughts out. If this judgment is coming against Edom because of their rejoicing at the downfall of Judah, and that refers to Judah going into Babylonian captivity, then this prophecy would have to be fulfilled after, after Judah goes into Babylonian captivity. Well, the Nabataeans, if they already... Oh, no, that's 312 BC. So by 312 BC, the Nabataeans control Petra. So clearly they have to take, so that would still fit. That would still fit. So uh, when, when do they take, so, this, so like, that would still work. That would still work. That would still work. We, we have to figure out when did the Nabataeans take Petra? When did they defeat the Edomites and destroy them? And who else do they work with? It was supposed to be a, a, a group of people, right? It's supposed to be a group of people, Nabataeans, Jews, and Rome. When, so when did this supposedly occur? So um, I, I don't think it's the most, and well, I you know what? I take that back. I take that back. It is important because anytime we can find and pinpoint a historical fulfillment for anything, we want to find it because the more, because once it shows the accuracy of these prophecies, and we're like, look, here's Obadiah. He said through, by God, you know, because of God giving him this vision, this, this message, this is what was going to happen to the Edomites, to Edom. And the Nabataeans were the leading march ones who did this. And we can find out exactly when it happened. Then we can say, see, it happened literally. Now, this is important because if we can show a literal fulfillment of Edom being destroyed, then if we see later on in Obadiah, some promise of Israel's restoration, it would have to be literal. So actually, this is more important than I was getting ready to say, well, it doesn't really matter. No, it does matter. It does matter. So I take that back. All right, there we go. That, that's some interesting discussion there. All right, and there I'm out of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I, I'm, out of, I'm out of everything. I'm out of voice. I'm out of mind, uh, brain power. I'm out of will, okay? I'm out of everything. My will is is given up. I'm tapping out. I'm tapping out. That's the end of my broadcast day after starting. I don't even know what time. Eight o'clock this morning I started. Um, I think I've done as, as much as I can today. I probably will take tomorrow off. And then I'll be back Tuesday to pick up our work in Obadiah. We are going to be doing a special Bible study exercise on this idea of we did the Lord's Supper. Uh, was it Christmas Eve, I think? And I just know that whenever you talk about doing the Lord's Supper, you talk about examining yourself. And I think this that concept of examining yourself, there's a lot of misinterpretations of that. So we're going to probably do a special, I don't know if we'll call it a Bible study exercise. We'll just do a special series on that. I still got to finish up our, our church and state series. I got to finish on that. We do need to get back to working on Bible meditation, which we started at the end of the year. We didn't. Uh, and then we just got a lot of other 
We still need to compile our list of podcasts to listen to, um, Christian podcasts. A lot of you have sent me a list. I've got to get that compiled. And so still a lot of other things to do, but we will we'll get to all of that Tuesday. So in the meantime, memorize Obadiah 1. Work on some verses about pride, right? Because we need to learn, we need to be warned of pride here. Um, try to just detect where, 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 what you're proud about, where arrogance and pride shows up in your life. And sometimes it can be the very thing that you've been blessed with. It's, some, it's just weird how we can take blessing and next thing you know, you, it becomes detrimental to our own spiritual life. That's, that's, well, that's our, that's our sinful nature. And then we want to know about the Nabataeans. How did they fulfill this prophecy in Obad, Obadiah 1 through 9? Was this been, has this, has this been historically fulfilled? If it was historically fulfilled, we want to know exactly the details. And if it's very literal, then anything that happens in the end of the book is literal. That's why we have to establish this because everyone wants to argue eschatology. They are argue it the wrong way. It's about hermeneutics. And I've talked about that so many times, but I'm done. Good night. Everyone have a great week. Study Obadiah. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Remember, don't don't forget to, if you want to be a part of the Discord channel, there's some good discussions going on there. People adding all kinds of discussion. If you if you need help doing that, let me know. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's been a great blessing. Everyone did a lot of discussing in, uh, on Micah. I'm assuming there's going to be lots of good discussions this week on Obadiah. And then uh, the Bible Memory app, you want that. And uh, let's work on Obadiah 1.1. In fact, I'll just read it. I'll just read it right here. In fact, I have it, and I'll just read it. I'll read it from the King James. I'll read it right here. Let me uh, grab my Bible here. The, well, the one good thing, if you open up your Bible every time you memorize it, if you open your Bible every time you memorize it, uh, you'll you'll be able to remember where o, uh, Obadiah is located, right? You'll, 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 you'll remember quickly. It's right after Amos, okay? Obadiah chapter one, verse one. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor. We've heard a message from the Lord. An ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, let us rise up against her in battle. God organizing armies to go after Edom because of their arrogance and their pride. May God never have to rise up an army against us because of our pride and our arrogance. Something to consider this week. Thanks for listening. God bless.